Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. A day late this week, Wes, because of the holiday, but we are here to talk about a Christmas Eve victory by the Green Bay Packers in Carolina. 33-30 to was the final score. And just when you thought maybe something would come easy for the Packers this year, a 14-point lead with about 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, of course the game comes right down to the wire because that's just what uh, this season has been. A lot to talk about, a lot to dissect as far as how that all went down. But the bottom line is the Packers got a victory. They are still alive in the NFC playoff hunt with two games to go. And, uh, um, yeah, this one, it would have been an absolute crusher to let it get away. But fortunately, the Packers did not. It was uh, when we were leaving and we were on the bus and both of us are riding, scrambling. There's a lot going on. There isn't a whole lot of time for fun and festivity. But I was thinking in my head when I sat in my seat, it almost reminded me of the scene of from Bull Durham of Nuke Lelouch and and Crash Davis in the back (laughs) where Nuke walks up and he's got the beers and everything. He's like, you know, winning, it's better than losing. You know (laughs) what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And and then, you know, then Crash is sitting there half in the bag as well, having a different approach to everything. That's kind of what this game was in a lot of ways for the Green Bay Packers because let's, let's just boil it down to brass tacks. The Packers had to win this game and they achieved that goal. Was not pretty, was definitely ugly at times, but they went into another team's house and they got the victory they needed. So there is that. We're talking about meaningful Week 17 football. They are in the same position right now as the Minnesota Vikings at 7-8, and eight, trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. Right. What, what impressed me about this game was the first half. I thought offensively, Green Bay did a lot of positive things. Aaron Jones back in the lineup and at a time in which they desperately needed him to perform without... Jaden Reed, which kind of caught me off guard. I just figured he would just keep pushing through and play through that toe injury. He's not able to go. Christian Watson isn't back. Dontavian Wicks leaves at halftime. You needed a playmaker like Aaron Jones to make plays. Defensively, kind of like the, the Tampa game without you know the takeaway, played pretty well early on. They had an adverse situation where there was the roughing the kicker, roughing the punter. They had to come back. They got another three and out. They were up 23 to 10 at halftime and things were really going their way. But as we've talked about so many times, Mike, when second half, how things can change, how adjustments can be made. And what impressed me about this game is unlike the Atlanta game earlier this season where the Packers let it get away and they didn't recover, Green Bay did recover. I thought that showed the growth of Jordan Love. And thankfully for Green Bay, saved by the bell, as you wrote in inbox, being able to ride this thing out for the victory. Yeah, that was uh, as frustrating as it was to see the defense really lose control of the game in the second half because I agree with you in the first half that the Packers defense played pretty well got a big uh, fourth and short stop around midfield that set up the Packers for a touchdown just before halftime that you know put the score at 23 to 10 things are looking pretty good the Packers extended that lead by three more points in the third quarter you started to see the cracks in the defense though when the Panthers put together a long drive I believe it was 14 plays took more than eight minutes off the clock in the third quarter and you wondered if that would have an impact on the defense in the fourth quarter and sure enough it did because the Panthers were able to put together the back-to-back back touchdown drives at the same time that a Packers offense that really had been humming along pretty well suddenly has back-to-back three and outs in the fourth quarter and the uh the momentum in this game just had completely flipped the other way uh Bryce Young started I mean he he just started rolling he was having 
the game of his life, quite frankly, as far as his rookie year in the NFL. He probably felt like he was, you know, back at Alabama the way he was running around and throwing darts and, and everything else. What I liked about this game more than anything else was you said it, the Atlanta game. I also think about the Vegas game and the Denver game when the Packers offense needed to have a drive, when its back was against the wall, when all the momentum was pointing against the team and the offense had to respond, it did in this one. You had the big pass to Romeo Dobbs on third and four. You had the really nice catch and run by Tyler, uh, sorry, Tucker Craft on the, uh, the pass over the middle that was threaded in between two defenders and you're able to run the clock down all the way all the way down to 22 seconds you kick the field goal there's only 19 seconds left on the clock the Packers offense everything seemed to have flipped the other way in this game on both sides of the ball and the offense answered the call and put together the drive that was needed the type of drive that had been missing in other games throughout the course of the season well and let's be honest here too Mike if Bryce Young is going to have the game of his career so far, 110 passer rating, two passing touchdowns after a month in which he did not have one. You need to have a response from your quarterback. And I thought Jordan Love was exceptional in this game. The pass to Tucker Craft, Mike, he's thrown a lot of great balls this year. In terms of intermediate routes, underneath routes, that was about as pinpoint accurate as I think I've seen from him this season. Yeah, There was not an inch to spare on either side of that ball. And credit to Kraft for bringing that one in. Because, I mean, maybe it's a makeable kick yet. You know, Anders had made the 53-yarder. Right. But it's definitely a bigger question mark if he doesn't get that reception, if they don't find a way to sneak their way into the red zone, make it really a chip shot. Jordan was uh, exceptional. And what more can you say about his pass to Dontavian Wicks, too, Again, similar to last week with Jaden Reed, kind of seeing through the clutter. And this guy is showing, Mike, when he can extend plays and get out of the pocket, how dangerous he can be. It yeah. is the number one trait that I look at with him that I see the shades of Aaron Rodgers and the influence of Aaron Rodgers because he isn't just, again, like I said to you last week, it's not the Madden rollout. It's not just the, okay, I got the ball, and now I'm going to try to get away from the, the pass rushers as quickly as yeah. possible. He is reading the field. He's going through his progressions, and he is allowing his playmakers to make plays for him. Dom Tavian Wicks making a great catch on that to, to get off one of those early scores. Yeah, I thought Jordan Love was outstanding in this game when you factor in, as you mentioned before, Watson was not back. Jaden Reed had to miss the game. Obviously, Luke Musgrave was not back. Um the big thing, the big boost that this offense got was the old Aaron Jones, um, you know, borderline workhorse type of uh, type of running back. And I know Matt Lafleur talked about he was running out of gas a little bit at the end of the game, which is why you know on a couple of those three those three and outs in the fourth quarter, I think if Jones tank hadn't been quite so close to empty, maybe the Packers are able to grind out uh, and do something a little bit more on offense there. But Jones with the 21 carries, 127 yards, also had an eight-yard reception early in the game, so 135 yards from scrimmage. You can't overstate how important he is to the offense and and how important he was to Jordan Love in a game where so many, so many of the other weapons were missing. I wrote my sidebar, which we call Keys to the Game, which you can still read on Packers.com if you still are. there so willing to do so and the big thing on that was Jones and Dobbs and this came later in the game after all that production that Jones had early on but Dobbs went up to him and he said hey we got to make a play and it was at that moment that Green Bay was needing a response the game is 30 to 30 
I looked at this game as something that Aaron Jones started and Romeo Dobbs finished. In the first half, 89 rushing yards for Jones, only 13 re receiving yards, one catch for Dobbs in the first half. Second half, he ends up having three more catches, finishes with 79 yards, gets a touchdown pass on kind of that quick out, that sprint out that, that kept the momentum going for them there. But then the 36-yard reception down the sideline. I know there was some controversy about it. I know Adam Thielen felt some type of way about it down in Carolina, but the fact of the matter is the longest catch of Romeo Dobbs' career. And when the Packers, for as much as we've talked this season, Mike, about rookies and unexpected contributions, guys stepping up, at some point, if you're going to make a playoff push, you need your stars. You need your stable. You need your, your constants. Yeah. And I don't think over the last two years there's probably any two bigger constants right now than Romeo Dobbs and Aaron Jones. That is your workhorse. That is where you go to. That, for Jordan Love, is where the experience comes from, despite the fact Romeo's only 23. It's the guys that have seen the most ball at this point. And I, I, that's what impressed me about this game. For as many times as I've written in our sidebars and we've talked about these young guys who have stepped up, this game came back to the guys that have been around, that have been there, that have done that, and they made the plays when they needed to be made. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know the Packers have a lot to sort out on the defensive side of the ball with what is going on. They turned over the cornerback spots to Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes in this game when they'd been running for quite a while with Carrington Valentine and Corey Ballantine. So there was a change up there. There was obviously a, a more aggressive approach with the pass rush. There was more blitzing, particularly early in the game. I think Carolina adjusted to that. Bryce Young started to get the ball out of his hands a little bit a little bit quicker, also started to bolt the pocket a little bit sooner <clears throat> when he felt that pressure coming in. And I'll say this, you know, we're not going to sit here and 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 discuss whatever it is that Matt LaFleur is evaluating and decisions that he's going to going to ultimately make. But this was a good example, even though it was at the Packers' expense, and we've seen it at the Packers' expense over the last few weeks. There is no substitute for a player in this league getting a jolt of confidence yep. and we saw it from Bryce Young he is a rookie quarterback number one overall pick a team that that you know by and large I shouldn't say a team because the, the they've had a defense that's been pretty solid this year but an offense in general that was in a rebuilding mode in Carolina not an offense that's ready for a rookie quarterback to just step in and run things so there you know have been all kinds of struggles throughout the year but once Bryce Young started feeling it, man, he, I mean, whatever had happened in the previous 14 games this season went right out the window because he looked like the Heisman Trophy winner. He looked like the number one overall pick. When guys, when guys get that, when guys get that jolt of confidence in this league, it's really, you have to try to do something to take it away. You have to try to flip the momentum back. The Packers weren't able to do that. Whether it's whether it's Baker Mayfield, yep. who is an accomplished quarterback in this league, a guy who's gotten his team to the playoffs and won a playoff game in another stop in his career, then started hopping around to different teams. He started to get the he started to feel that level of confidence and he got rolling and the Packers weren't able to stop it. And Bryce Young did the same thing. It took until the fourth quarter for him. But once he started doing that, uh, you know, fortunately, the Panthers ran out of time on the final drive because 
if they'd been able to kick a field goal there, Wes, I said it in Insider Inbox, it felt like if that if they kick the field goal and tie the game and it goes to overtime, it felt like the only way the Packers were going to win that game is to win the toss in overtime and go down and score a touchdown and not let Bryce Young touch the ball again because uh, because the Packers just weren't stopping him. Yeah, the weird thing about it is when I was watching this game and then you know even getting a chance to go back and look, relook at it again in real time, I could see. I mean, that first quarter was rough for Young. Yes. I mean, there was no touch on his passes. It didn't seem like there was much on the passes either. He just looked unsure. He looked mechanical. Yeah, and, and I and I think he was I think he was caught off guard by the aggressive approach with the pass rush that the Packers were sending a fifth, sometimes a sixth rusher in certain instances. He didn't react very well, and his passes were off the mark. And uh, um, but he settled down. Their offense as a whole adjusted to it. Packers really didn't have a counterpunch to to knock that momentum back the other way once it started going the wrong direction. Yeah, and, and Young made a couple plays early in that second quarter that I think can directly be attributed to him gaining some of that confidence too because in those moments he was making something where there maybe was nothing to be made of. I, I think there was a one pass he had a DJ Shark. Uh, definitely Tremble ended up being a guy that he was able to have yeah. as sort of an outlier, um, a guy that he could look for uh, and feel confident in his throws with. And once he started making some tougher throws, that's when it seemed like in the second half things started to get easier for him. He started to make the things that are based more on getting the ball out, playing on time, uh, seeing what Green Bay's giving you and adjusting to that. In the fourth quarter, he was nothing short of exceptional. Uh, I think Green Bay again, whatever the reason is, kind of fell back into those doldrums of way too much space, way too much uncontested catches. Yep. And and guys like Adam Thielen, I mean, dude, Adam Thielen, Mike, I said it all last week. I've said it for two years now. The guy's well over 30 now. He is on the north side of this thing. The Minnesota Vikings clearly felt like they were ready to go another direction. I still think he has a lot to give this game. Yeah, he does. The one-handed catch, the snag he had on the sideline yeah. that was able to bring up. Yeah. What happened was Bryce Young started making plays and his receivers started making plays for him. And then it no longer was, okay, well, they got DJ Shark and a bunch of old guys. It was, no, I mean, they, they got some guys that are going to step up and play for him. In Green Bay, as you said, that fourth quarter, so much of it's going to be on the defense, understandably so, because it went right up to that final second. But I kind of took on a bunch of people in Insider Inbox that were like, well, why is Matt LaFleur throwing the offense under the bus? There were a lot of people saying that. And it's like, well, the reason he did that is, one, everybody has a part to play in this thing. And two, they weren't. it, it was going back to early season Packers football where it was the defense was having these long sustained drives, the opposing team was scoring, and then the Packers went three and out twice. You have to be able to lift up the other phases of this thing. Mm -hmm. We'll see what this defense looks like on yeah. Sunday. We have a lot of previewing to do, Mike, in our content, but Nick Mullins just threw four interceptions. The Minnesota Vikings aren't saying who their quarterback's going to be. Right. The Green Bay Packers, there's a very easy, clear blueprint for what needs to happen here if things are going to turn around. I think it gets back to taking away the football, which they just have not been doing lately. Yeah, and I agree with you there, and I'll say this with regard, I'll say this with regard to the offense. Yes, the Packers have put up, I believe it was the first play of the fourth quarter. They scored the touchdown with Dobbs, and they yep. are at 30 points, one play into the fourth quarter. But how many times have I talked about it, Wes? Wins and you, you you can't 
you can't win a game in this league in the first three quarters. You can't. It, what matters is what you do in the fourth quarter. Now, you can lose a game in the first three quarters. You can play badly enough to lose one. It's very hard to win a game in the first three quarters. And the offense, for all the good that they had done, the way the game unfolded and how you have to perform at crunch time, the offense didn't get it done until the final drive when they had to have it and they did get it. And that's what you hang your hat on in this game. And then you learn from what went wrong on the back-to-back three and outs that stalled what had been a really, really impressive and productive offensive day against a pretty darn good defense. And the other thing I'll say too, and this is a credit to, to Chris Tabor, it's a credit to the, the Panthers because they could easily tuck tail and call it a day and just focused on getting through the rest of the season. It's not like Carolina came out and scored immediately after that touchdown at Dobbs. They actually end up having to punt again. Right, right. But Johnny Hecker flips the field. Green Bay has to start at its own 11, and Green Bay's unable to move the ball. Right. After that play, when Carolina got the ball at the 40, that's where their scoring started. Yeah. So when you talk about complementary football in all three phases serving as one, the Panthers did it terrifically, brilliantly in that fourth quarter. But in the totality of a game, Green Bay did it longer and more consistently. And as ugly as it looked at times, the Packers did do what it took to win that football game. Yeah, it just goes it just goes to show how important crunch time is in this league because uh, because if the Packers had let that one get away, a lot of uh, a lot of good on both sides of the ball through the first three quarters would have felt like it had all been thrown in the garbage with uh, the season going out the window. Some sponsor business here, Wes. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone. Like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, 50 years of better. All right, where things sit right now in the NFC. Don't look now, but the Detroit Lions not only won their first division championship in 30 years. They are tied with two other teams, that being the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers, at 11-4 and four yep. in the race for the number one seed and the only playoff bye that comes with it. Those three squads, 11-4 and four, with two weeks to go. As far as the wild card situation goes, right now you have the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks both at 8-7, and seven, sitting in the 6th and 7th spots. And then a quartet of teams, the Packers, Vikings, Saints, and Falcons, all at 7-8. and eight, One game behind those 6-7 and seven spots with two games left to play. And I know there's all kinds of math and, and various scenarios that could unfold over these last two weeks because nothing is a given. But for my money, Wes, and I know gambling is illegal at Bushwood, but for my money, the Packers against the Vikings on Sunday night is an elimination game. The loser, it's you know, it's lottery ticket time at that point. If you lose this game and get your ninth loss with everything else that's swirling around in these two wild card spots, um, you are barely hanging on, if at all. Essentially, the winner Sunday night in Minneapolis between the Packers and the Vikings will still be very much alive, and the loser is pretty much packing its bags. Yeah. And that's what happens when you're when you're sitting at seven and eight. And I, I know a lot of people about a month ago were saying, "Well, you know, eight wins." And I think I was even among them at one point. That might be enough to get you in the playoffs. But the Seattle Seahawks are the team that the, the team that really changed yes. the outlook on this because because the last two weeks now against the Philadelphia Eagles and then against the Tennessee Titans, the 
Seahawks put together a length of the field drive, scoring a touchdown in the final minute when they were losing to take the lead and and pull out back-to-back games. And uh, you know, credit to Seattle because they'd been on a losing streak, and now all of a sudden they are uh, they are the crunch time team when they've got the ball last, and they've gotten two wins that both both games they were on the verge of losing, but they got two wins, and they are at eight and seven along with the Rams. So that's where you know the idea of finishing eight and nine and maybe sneaking into the playoffs has <clears throat> pretty much gone out the window. Yeah, and it's interesting too because I would venture, in my own opinion, to say. The Los Angeles Rams are a, a superior football team to the San, uh, Seattle Seahawks, but the Rams have to face the 49ers in two weeks. They have to get through the Giants this Sunday. Seattle just has to worry about Pittsburgh and Arizona. So for my here, – here's what I've been saying all week long. I think I said this to you. I know I definitely said it to our, our supervisor, Duke Bauer. All the Green Bay Packers can do is worry about nine wins. They can get to eight this Sunday night. Right. You beat you beat the Vikings, and you could talk about that conversation for nine. I would rather, to be perfectly honest with you, the Green Bay Packers go nine and eight and take care of business and miss the playoffs than whatever that was at the end of last season where Oof. the entire table fell to Green Bay, but then they lose. And then you don't cash the in on it. Yeah, you, do, you don't cash in on all those breaks. Yes. Everything fell your way to set you up for a win to get in, and then you and then you didn't get it. And that's not just about heartbreak, heartbreak and ecstasy and all this stuff. It's yeah. because I look for the Green Bay Packers. If you can get a winning season out of this, you get to the postseason, fantastic. That's right. the goal. That's incredible experience. But this Packers team has the opportunity to be in that same seat that the Detroit Lions were in last year. Detroit did not make the playoffs after they beat Green Bay here. But if you go listen to that locker room afterwards, you listen to Dan Campbell, yeah. you'd have thought they just won the Super Bowl. Right. Green Bay needs to keep building because this is bigger than just this season. But that's why I think more than any other year I've covered, I'm just so locked into what Green Bay's situation is. Yes. And then just once that situation's over with, seeing where all the rest of the chips have fallen. Yeah, for those who wanna, for those who wanna try to get the uh, the the simplest handle possible on the Packers playoff scenario, this is this is what it boils down to, and this doesn't cover all the bases, but this is this is a a, a very basic way to understand what needs to happen. Number one is the Packers need to win two games to get to nine and eight. Then the second thing is the help that they need, and what they need is the Rams to lose one more, the Seahawks to lose one more, the Falcons to lose one more, but they only need two of those three things to happen. So Rams, Seahawks, Falcons, two of those three with two victories to get to nine and eight, and the Packers should be grabbing a wild card spot. That's the simplest way to just sort of bake it into your mind as far as as far as going into things here. And, and of course, the interesting part is with the Packers and the Vikings playing on Sunday night, all of this, uh, you know, all the scoreboard watching will be, you know, going on on Sunday afternoon. You know, what happens in the Rams game? What happens in the Seahawks game? What happens in the Falcons game? And uh, and so we'll just see where things are when the Packers kick the ball off. But the bottom line is the Packers are going to need to win Sunday night in Minneapolis to stay in this hunt. I think the part I find that's a little bit funny, too, is um, 
you got to play the games that are in front of you. You have to beat the opponents that are in front of you. But one reason why you can never sit here, and we've had two great lessons the last two seasons of why you can't just look at a schedule and say, well, these are the games the Packers are going to win and these are the games right. they're going to lose right? because of how the season's gone. You can make an argument that Green Bay has really lost to one bad team, with that being, in my opinion, the New York Giants. Uh, they lost to Denver when they only had one win. They lost to Vegas when they had Josh McDaniels as their head coach. But all these teams have been like 500-type teams. It's They've about, all been very much like Green Bay, very with like, go, like going Green through Bay. lots of ups and downs where you look at, oh, wow, they beat them and they beat them. But, oh, geez, they lost to them and they lost yes. to them. All these, all these teams, I think with the exception of, of the Giants, all these teams have that same sort of ledger uh, in front of them as far as their 2023 season goes. And that's why I just think this is so interesting because, yeah, we don't know how Sunday night's going to go. We don't know how week 18 will go. Right. Uh, and maybe the Packers get enough done to get in the playoffs. Maybe they don't. But, Mike, my whole thing, and you've had to edit my writing here the last couple weeks, is that the Packers get in, man. That's a really interesting football team. <laughs> but they have to I earn agree. that opportunity. And yeah. that mission and that path and – We'll preview it on Thursday. Yeah. That begins with the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. One one last thing I want to mention before we go, and we will certainly preview in great detail Green Bay and Minnesota on our next episode, which will actually shoot tomorrow since now the week is shifting back into normal mode mm-hmm. after the holiday on Monday. Thanks, but, Justin. Man, I, I just, I just got to say, does anybody out there want to play the Baltimore Ravens right now? Goodness. See in the gracious. Super Bowl. Goodness gracious. You talk about yeah. you talk about a team that is putting it together and getting on a roll at the right time. Um, and they've still got one heck of a tough matchup this week. They now they after, after these games they big games they've had against Jacksonville and against uh, um, and against the 49ers, These you know games over teams that look like they're certainly headed to the playoffs. But uh, um, but then the Baltimore Ravens beat them convincingly. Now they have to face the Miami Dolphins, who are coming off of a big win of their own at home against the Dallas Cowboys last week. And uh, but boy, I I just you know. Baltimore Ravens are 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. Their only loss in that stretch is a two-point loss to the Cleveland Browns, a team that is certainly no slouch out there as well. Um, and uh, I just I couldn't be more impressed because a lot of people thought when you know Mark Andrews goes down with yeah. that terrible injury, a lot of people thought, oh, what's that going to do to you know to the Ravens' offense and all this? Well, it you know no offense to Mark Andrews, it hasn't affected them a yeah. whole heck of a lot, and that's a credit to John Harbaugh, a credit to the rest of those guys. The Baltimore Ravens right now are looking like the team to beat in the NFL. And credit to Lamar Jackson because he they took away his top receiving target for years. And he adapted much better this year without Andrews than some of these previous years when Andrews has been unavailable and obviously likely factors into that. Um, They've had to make the adjustments in the backfield, but they still have Gus Edwards. I mean, the the Baltimore Ravens are an incredibly fun team to watch. And I'll be honest with you, Mike, that's why originally I was wondering whether or not the Sunday night game would actually get played with the Packers and Vikings or if they get flexed out of it just because of Baltimore and Miami. And Miami, yeah. And then when you talk about – this is the beautiful thing about the National Football League – the way you build football teams, Baltimore, very homegrown, very gritty. Their defense, I mean, Patrick Queen talked about it after the game. I mean, they don't, people don't want to play our brand of football. Yeah. And then you have the Miami Dolphins, which is a lot of guys that have been brought in with draft picks from other places. Uh, a lot of guys that have a lot of speed. 
and you're going to have those two objects really colliding here. There's been so many of these AFC matchups where I was like, boy, this could be a potential, you know, AFC championship preview. Yeah, playoff preview type of game, yeah. But here we are again. This definitely feels like it could have that type of vibe because I think when you're looking in terms of the most consistent teams this season, not just in that conference, the Dolphins and the Ravens certainly are at the top of that list. Yeah, I think so. Well, we will look ahead in more detail to the rest of the Week 17 schedule in the NFL, as well as obviously the Packers and the Vikings from U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. We'll have it for you on our next show. But for now, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next time.